You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. Hey, what's up, Grace Church? My name is Kyle Williamson. I'm the Grace Students Director at the South Overland Park campus. And if you may not know where I'm at right now by the location, but I'm actually at Grace Students Summer Camp on Lake Table Rock. We've been here all week, and I am so excited to share this week's message from Summer Camp. Like, if you didn't know what happened at Grace Students Summer Camp, I wanted to key you in a little bit about how much God is moving just in these short five days. We have two, over 240 students that attended camp this year. This is the record-breaking year, the most kids we've ever had. We're going out on boats. And by the way, there might be a couple boats that drive by me in the background. The camera might be a little bit shaky if the wakes get heavy. But hey, that's all about what, what we're about here at camp. Like, this is the full camp experience. I wanted you guys to understand what it's like to be here at Grace Student Summer Camp. Just even last night, uh, God did so many amazing things. We have students, like multiple, multiple students, like confessing sin, overcome, like Christ bringing, overcoming, like difficulties, areas of the life that they're surrendering to God. I think a lot of times students will come into camp kind of waffling back and forth between following Jesus and another thing in their life. You know, so many times it's at moments like this at camp where we eliminate distractions that we see these like things start to bubble up of like, oh man, I actually was worshiping my phone. Or I actually, actually was worshiping my, my sports team. Or I was actually worshiping the pursuit of a relationship. And I love here at camp, the students, like we realize these things when we get away from it all and truly surrender to Jesus. So many students have encountered Jesus and I, that's why I love doing student ministry. I love doing student ministry because of the authenticity and how real teenagers can be. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, I think we can learn a lot from the teenagers in our life. I think adults deceive themselves way better than kids do. Like, in fact, like we are like these teenagers. We go into situations and we're double-minded. We're trying to follow two different things all the time. But the reality is, is we can hide it better. Like we've built up walls. We've had years and years of building up walls and defense mechanisms in our life that we convince ourselves that we are in a good spot with the Lord. We, we convince ourselves that we're in a good spot in our marriage. We convince ourselves that we're in a good spot in parenting, but the reality is, is we're waffling back and forth, trying to follow two different things. You know, we've been in this series called God in the Downward Spiral, God in the Spiral. And we've been looking at Israel's history. And Israel's history is the history of all of our lives, where it starts to just take a toll. One thing happens, one thing happens after another, and then eventually it all just kind of spirals down and out of control. See, the reality is, is oftentimes we try to follow God and something else. We try to follow God in the pursuits of our career. We try to follow God and our kids' like achievements. We try to follow God in even just our own happiness. But the reality is, is that God is the only one who we can follow. 
We can't waffle back and forth between two things. We can't falter between two opinions. And so the question leading in is we're going we're gonna to dive into 1 Kings chapter 18. But before we get in there, I want you to think about this question. Are you trying to follow God and blank? You fill in the blank for yourself. Are you trying to follow God and your career, your family, your happiness? What is that for you? Are you trying to do both? Because we're going to learn from this story from the Israelites that it cannot be done. There can only be one king. There can only be one true God. And that's what these people of Israel were trying to do in this downward spiral. Let me give you a little bit of context as where we're at today in 1 Kings chapter 18. So the past two weeks in our series, we've been talking about two kings from the southern tribe, actually the kingdom of Judah. We talked first about Rehoboam, and he was not that great of a leader. He, he actually, like, the kingdom got divided under his reign. And then last week, we talked about King Asa. And he was following God with his heart at the beginning, but then he stopped trusting God. He stopped trusting God, and from there, like, the kingdom continues to spiral. But today, we're going to take a trip up north, all right? We're going to leave the southern kings. We're going to probably get back the, to them in, a, in the next coming weeks. But we're going to go up north to the northern kingdom. And we're going to look at the most wicked king in, like, that we see so far in the Bible. This is King Ahab. King Ahab ruled during the same time that King Asa did in the southern kingdom. King Ahab's ruling the northern tribes of Israel. And it says this in the Bible, that he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than anyone before him. So right now we see that King Ahab is the most wicked king so far that we're, that we're looking at in this Bible. So here, here, here's where we're at. So he sets up, not only does he like not follow the law, but in fact, he actually sets up temples to other gods. These, in our story, we're going to see two gods in particular, Baal and Asherah. So he actually sets up places of worship that the people, like his like followers, like the people that God entrusted him to shepherd and to lead, he's actually helping them follow other gods. And so King Ahab was extremely wicked. But also in this story, we see the introduction of one of the most famous characters in the Bible. He actually appears just a chapter before in 1 Kings chapter 17, and his name is Elijah. It's really funny the way he actually enters into the scene. It's very nonchalant, not epic, really. Like he just kind of comes up and there he is. There's not this huge call moment like we see with Isaiah or the other prophets, but he just kind of rolls up. So Elijah just rolls up and he calls out some of the wickedness. And actually because of that, he proclaims, God tells him to proclaim that there will be a drought in the land. So they don't see rain or even like dew on the ground for three and a half years years. For three and a half years, there's no rain. It's drought. And you got to keep in mind, like this is a highly, this is an agrarian society. They depended on rain. Rain was their entire livelihood. If they didn't get rain or dew, they weren't eating. So for three years, we see a drought, no rain or dew on the land at all. So Elijah calls this drought and God miraculously provides for Elijah in those times. And three and a half years later, God calls Elijah and he says, all right, I want you to make an appearance to King Ahab. 
Go ahead. Like show yourself up. You're going to say that there's going to be rain once again. So what you need to do is call, gather all the people of Israel. Gather them all up for a contest. Now, this is one of the most fun stories in the Bible, in my opinion, because of the epic nature of the story. But before we get into it, I want to talk about who we are in the story. Now, there are amazing spiritual implications about the power of prayer and like uh, like relying and trusting on God to come through on the side of Elijah. But today, we're not going to put ourselves in the shoes of Elijah. Today, we're not going to put ourselves in the shoes of the false prophets either. Today, what I want you to focus on is what it would be like to actually witness this. What would you be thinking if you were one of the Israelite people, just the average person watching what was happening on this mountain? That's who we are in this story. We are the Israelites looking on to see, are we going to follow God? Are we going to try to falter back and forth? Not sure if we should follow other idols in our life or the one true God. And so we are going to get into it right now in 1 Kings chapter 18. You can go ahead and turn there right now if you've got your Bibles with you. We're going to start off in verse 21. It says this, And Elijah came to all the people. So he gathers them all up. They're all surrounding. They, they go on this mountain, Mount Carmel. All right, and they gather all of these people on Mount Carmel and he sees, he's came to all the people and said, how long, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. I think this verse is pretty interesting because it can kind of seem like Elijah's testing God in this moment. You know, later on in the New Testament, Jesus says not to test or tempt our God. But this reality is, is that Elijah wasn't testing God. This story is about God testing the Israelites. Are you going to follow Baal? Or are you going to follow the one true God? And they just, they don't answer him a word. They're just quiet because they got called out. You know the times in your life where you're maybe at work, you do something wrong or, or you're, you're like, you, you mess up, you like say something uh, like a little bit too far, like to your spouse or something. And then that, like they could call you out on it and you just have to sit there and like, oh, yeah, I messed up. Like this is where the people are at. They like get called out by Elijah and they're just silent. It continues on in verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. So here's the contest. We start seeing this contest start to get set up. We see Elijah, the one lone prophet from God on this mountain. Now, by the way, there are like over a hundred hidden away. So Elijah kind of like makes a little bit of overstep. He's, you know, he's like feeling the emotions in the moment, but right, he's the one on the mountain. And there are 450 prophets of Baal and Asherah there with him. Says verse 23, therefore, He's starting to set the terms of the contest. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. 
So now we have the terms to the agreement. The contest is set up. Here's what's about to happen. So they, they get these two bulls and they say, all right, what we're going to try to do, we're going to do a test, a trial by fire, literally. Okay. So they're going to have two altars set up. One's going to be the prophets of Baal. The other's going to be Elijah to the one true God. And they're going to see whoever answers by fire is the one true God. And this is the reality of our life when we ask ourselves that question, if we're trying to follow, are we trying to follow two things? The God who answers, the one who answers is the true God. The God who answers is the true God and the people agree to these terms. And so this is what I want you to do with me right now at home as you're watching this. Like, do you agree to these terms? If God shows up in your life, if he reveals himself to you, like he's about to reveal himself to the people of Israel, will you agree to these terms? Will you say, okay, if God is the true God, follow him. If he is the one, the true God who answers, who comes through for you, will you follow him? Will you follow him today? So, so we, get this, uh, we get this contest start to get set up. And then uh, we see the prophets of Baal get their turn. So they, they start, they choose a bull, they prepare it. And it says from morning until noon, they cry out to Baal. They cry out to Baal and they say, oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And so they cry out from like about probably like 9 a.m. or maybe 6 a.m., maybe a little earlier, all the way until noon. They cry out to Baal. It says they leaped about the altar. They jumped around and they danced and they, they tried to get Baal's attention in any way that they could. But it says that there was no voice and no one answered. We'll pick back up in verse 27. And so it was, I love this part, by the way. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is meditating or he is busy or he might be on a journey or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. I, you know, we've talked about like some shade that gets thrown around in the Bible. Like this is some intense shade. Can throw. Other translations say like, do you think he might be like relieving himself? Like is Baal just going, like is he on the potty right now? Like is that where Baal's at right now? Like he's not listening. He's not paying attention. He must be occupied. Like Elijah is just loving, soaking up this moment. And if you're a competitor, like if you love to like get, get people riled up, like if you're like the, like the king of the chief's kingdom, right? Like this is you in this moment, like super pumped up. You know, I still got to admit that the Bengals, you know, crush you guys. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Sorry to, you know, divide these. Get people. Anyway, okay, here we go. Um, so no one answers, right? And so, so Elijah's mocking them. And this is verse 28 says, so they cried aloud and cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one paid attention. So this is when this story for me starts to get a little sad for the prophets of Baal. Because like, I know that like so many people in their lives start to struggle and they think that the God they're crying out to will help them. And they think that if they just do a little bit more, if they try a little bit harder, that their God will answer them. And so they go to even to the point of cutting themselves, harming themselves, trying to reach out to try to get an answer from their false God. How often does this happen in our life? 
the things that don't work, how often do we go back to them and try harder? And then they just fail us even worse in the end. I see so many people struggling this all around. I know even in my own life to think, like, go back to that. I think, I know they don't work. I know they don't give me joy. I know they don't give me peace. But for some reason, we convince ourselves that if we just try a little harder, it will work. But no one answered. I love the end of verse 29 where it says, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. And that's because false gods will always fail you. False gods will always fail you. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Oh, we got some partiers back here on the boat. It's going to be slow, slowing by. See, these false gods, they're, they're going to fail you every single time. Every single time these things, these fixes in our life, they will let us down. And this is what the people of Israel were doing. They were faltering between two opinions. Are they going to follow God or Baal or Asherah? And by the way, Baal and Asherah, those were the gods of like money, sex, and power. They were the gods that got worshipped with cult prostitution. They were the gods that were supposed to be the ones sending rain. But they failed them. They had been failing them for three and a half years and they will fail them in this moment on this mountain. So here's what it says, continuing on in verse 30. It says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. You know, I love the start of this verse that Elijah said, come near. With God, there are no tricks. There is no deceiving. There is nothing, no showmanship that needs to happen. God says like, hey, you come near. I want to show you my power. I want to show you the glory. I want to show you what God can do. And so now, now it's Elijah's turn. Elijah, I'm just going to summarize what happens in these next couple verses. So it's Elijah's turn. So he sets up 12 stones, each stone representing a tribe of Israel. He, first what he does is he rebuilds. He reminds them, hey, you guys should be united. You guys are a divided kingdom right now. First of all, this is what God called you to be, is united kingdom. So he rebuilds the altar. And then, he, so, and then what he does is he digs a trench around this altar. And then he grabs people. He's like, hey, I need pots of water. So they end up grabbing 12 huge pots of water. And they dump it all over this wood. They dump it all over the bowl. It actually says that it fills up the trench completely. Okay, I got two thoughts from this. One, why on earth is Elijah stacking the odds against him? It's because God's powerful. And Elijah, had, this is why I know Elijah wasn't testing God. Elijah knew it was going to happen since the beginning. Elijah knew that God was going to come through. This is God testing the people. So him filling the water kind of makes it a little bit more astonishing for us as readers, us as the Israelites watching. But then also what happens, right? They've been in a drought for three and a half years. Imagine this. Imagine your family has been struggling to make ends meet has been struggling to provide food on the table and some random dude walks up and says, hey, I need you to give me the last money you have in your bank account because I want to show you what God's going to do in your life. Imagine that. Like how crazy would that be? What would you think if you saw literally your livelihood being dumped out on this altar? This again shows me Elijah is not testing God. Elijah is testing the people. Elijah's testing the people. 
So let's see what happens at the end. So in verse 36, it says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, The Lord, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. I've been out there yesterday. I can't get wakeboarding though. Sorry. We're just going to roll with it. You know, we're here. We're at camp. That's what our kids will be doing later on today. You can ask them about it later. Let's, get, let's read this verse again. So verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. So he says this prayer, this sweet prayer, reminding the people who God is, reminding the people what God had done for them. He reminds the people and prays to God, God, would you show yourself, reveal yourself to these people today? Verse 38 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. When the Israelites saw the power of God, that was their only response. Their only response was to say, the one true God, the Lord is God. It's the only option. He is the only one. The false gods had failed them for too long. And maybe in your life, your false gods have been failing you for too long. Maybe you're like the people of Israel and Jesus is coming on the scene to you right now and he is wanting to reveal the very power of God to you. Because remember, we're the onlookers in this story. The Lord is the one true God. So I'm going to ask you the question I asked at the beginning again. Are you trying to follow God and blank? Are you trying to follow God in your career? Are you trying to follow God in your kids' achievements? Are you trying, are you faltering between two opinions like it said earlier in this chapter? Will you follow the one true God? In the New Testament, this is actually uh, James calls it being double-minded. Thinking of two things, like going back and forth between two opinions, being double-minded. Jesus actually teaches this in Matthew 6, that you can't follow God and money. It's impossible. There can only be one king. There can only be one God. And remember, we are the onlookers in this story. Elijah in this story represents Jesus. Think about what Elijah did for the people. He came at just the right time to reveal the power of God to the Israelites. He actually dismantled every argument of the enemy, stacked the odds against him, and he came out victorious. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He came to this earth at the perfect time. He lived the perfect life and died the death we deserve. In doing so, he showed the very power of God revealed the power of God to us, just like Elijah did to the people of 
Israel. And Jesus also dismantled every single argument of the enemy. He took away all of the, the enemy. He actually, uh, after he was uh, baptized, he was tempted by Satan and dismantled every single one of the enemy's arguments and proved that he was king, proved that he was God. And so my question to you is, is he revealing himself as the one true God in your life today? Is he calling you, maybe helping you realize that there are false gods in your life? Maybe like helping you to understand that there's things in your heart that you've been trying to chase after. Faltering between two opinions. Is he today calling you to himself? Is he asking you to follow him? To set aside the idols? To lay aside what you've been chasing after? The thing that has been failing you for years, but you think if you just do a little bit longer or you try a little bit harder, it might work. You might get happiness. You might have peace. Our only response when we face Jesus, when, we, when Jesus is revealed to us, our only response should be that of the people of Israel in 1 Kings 18, 39. And I'll end with this. Now, when all the people saw it, when they saw the power of God, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. How will you respond today? How will you respond when Jesus reveals his power to your life? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this story. This story of the Bible that shows us your power and your glory. I pray today, right now, that you would help reveal yourself to all the people watching this. God, that you would reveal your great power and that you would give us the strength to follow you, to lay aside all of our false idols. God, we love you, and it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com.